Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host and interviewer each week. You may know me as the uh, privileged host of Franklin Covey's other podcast, On Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, hitting close to 7 million people each week, both in audio and video, and now into our nearly 250th episode on that podcast. About a year ago, what we realized is a lot of the most engaging interviews weren't just the superstar celebrity or the uh, best-selling author or the you know celebrity CEO. They were people a little more like you and I that had done spectacular things in their career, but quite frankly, they were a little bit more relatable. Not sure about you, but it's hard for me to relate to Deepak Chopra and Matthew McConaughey on the other podcast. So what we decided to do is spin off this second newest podcast called C-Suite Conversations, where each week we have really engaging, vulnerable conversations with people who have made it into the C-Suite, sometimes very deliberately, sometimes serendipitously, sometimes even accidentally. And we have real conversations around their journey and the things that they've Learn. Today, our guest is one such person. He happens to be the chief retail officer of Rite Aid Corporation. His name is Andre Persad, and he's joining us today from Chicago, Illinois. Andre, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Scott. Good to meet you. I'm guessing you've got a couple of great pandemic stories on how to pivot, on how to be nimble, how to be agile, how to think differently. We'll get into all of that in just a few minutes. Obviously, all of us have a Rite Aid or wished we had a Rite Aid on our corner. Our family is there uh, almost weekly. We get all of our vaccinations at the local Rite Aid, and so we're big fans of your, your organization. Uh, let's rewind a little bit. Would you maybe uh, go back a couple of decades, talk a little bit about your educational journey and how you made it to become the chief retail officer at Rite Aid? Well, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, I um, made a decision to go to pharmacy school, um, and the decision was in the intention of becoming an institutional pharmacist. Um, fast forward, um, fell in love with community retail pharmacy and that's where I found my calling. Um, realized you know, very quickly after that, that I wanted to get a, a graduate degree in business and did that right after undergrad. Uh, so, you know, fast forward, started my career as a pharmacist, um, you know, for one organization, left that organization after eight years at that point leading uh, their pharmacy business nationally, um, moved over to another uh, sector within chain drug, uh, did that for about seven years, then decided I wanted to play in grocery, moved over to grocery space, did that for about three years, I moved into apparel, and then back into mass, um, back to grocery, and now here at Rite Aid, um, where I, I lead the, the $17 billion retail pharmacy business for Rite Aid Corporation. Andre, I'm guessing it's not a normal pivot for someone who goes to pharmacy school, right? This is not a small investment, and then decides to kind of pivot and go get an MBA. What happened where you decided, you know, I don't really want to be a pharmacist. I kind of want to manage the business of pharmacy. That's the wrong way to say it. But what happened in you that made that second big investment in your career? Obviously, it's not, not inexpensive to go to pharmacy school and not expensive to get it, or not inexpensive, obviously, to get an MBA. Those are big opportunity cost investments. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I would say start with some of my fondest memories and most cherished memories of my career so far is actually being a pharmacist on the counter, and that's really helping others. Uh, but I also recognized very early on that I just didn't see myself being that career pharmacist on the counter and 
you know, thought that having a business degree would help me do whatever I wanted to do down the road. And, you know, I had no clue at that point in time what that path would be. Uh, but I thought it would just be prudent to have that degree with me um, at the start of my career. I think it also gives uh, hope to a lot of people who can pivot, pivot dramatically or pivot even, you know, a little bit to add uh, a little bit of uh, opportunity onto what their passions are as well. It's, it's a great premission reminder to all of us. It's never too late to pivot a little bit. I want to talk about your career journey. Um, I'm guessing there's been some significant inflection points in your career where someone gave you the opportunity to see yourself differently, a leader believed in you more than you believed in yourself. Can you think of a transition figure in your <clears throat> life that was a contributor to a big inflection point in your income, your influence, your title, how you saw yourself? And tell us about that person. I, I've had... I've been very fortunate. I've had quite a few of those individuals, Scott. Um, you know, I, I go back to um, where I started my career at Walmart stores and the most senior executive that I reported up through took me under his wing and really helped me um, stretch myself. So he always asked me to, you know, to take on assignments well beyond my scope of work. Um, from that perspective, you know, fast forward, you know, to a second company, both the person I reported to and the chief CEO of that company really took me under their wings. And, you know, it helped me um, just identify a lot of blind spots very early in my career. Even, you know, in fact, even, you know, this was pretty early for someone to get an executive coach to work with an executive coach very early on to help you know, shape me and round me out from that perspective. And, um, you know, that's allowed me also more broadly is to, you know, I'm a lifetime learner and a lifetime learner means that, you know, any leaders that I can learn from is something that I continue to do. Uh, so short answer is I haven't had one. I've had multiple opportunities and multiple um, leaders that have helped shape me through my career. Andre, stay in that theme. Uh, was there a pivotal moment in your career that really shaped and maybe even defined your leadership style, who you are as a leader, think back for a moment on one or maybe even two moments that were the gravitas of the experience, the challenge, the opportunity fundamentally changed your leadership style. I'll go back to you know, a situation where I was very comfortable in my role. Um, and I, remember, I still remember this conversation vividly. Um, I was leading a part of the country for an organization where I was very successful. I had an awesome team and we were doing extremely well. Uh, December 23rd at a, a cocktail event, the CEO and the person I report to, you know, the CEO pulled me aside and, and said, um, we want you to pick up and move across the country and here's why. And they shared with me all the reasons why. Um, and what I took away from the conversation was that, uh, you're asking me to take on a, a part of the business that's lower volume, less developed. You know, why would I want to do that? But the reality was, look, this is an opportunity for you to really stretch your wings and get away from, you know, call it sports center support and, and really, you know, be that de facto C-suite leader for us out in that market, which is 2000 miles away from you know the corporate office. And by the way, this is an opportunity for you to, you know, to grow this business, uh, fix it. And if you do that within three years, you know, the, the road's pretty bright for you. It worked out really well. Uh, it was, you know, the, the, the challenge was accomplished in two years. And then I was given a much broader role after that. So 
that that was very inflective because it stretched me um a, you know multiple ways because the moving across the country also meant you had to develop a different leadership style based upon the people you're working with i was also following somebody who's really highly thought of and had to manage through that you know while acknowledging that we need to improve this business significantly also i think there's some great nuggets in there one of my favorites was the fact that I think for decades, a lot of leaders felt like, well, this is my leadership style, kind of deal with it, and people had to assimilate to it. And I think increasingly post-pandemic, that leaders need to now have an individualized style. You know, your style has to be nimble and agile. You have to get to know your entire team because how you lead one person may be different than how you lead someone else based on their fears and their talents and their genius and their passions and, and all of that. So thank you for reminding us that you, you do need to vary your leadership style, not, not your values or your principles, but, and you can treat people differently and still treat them equitably and fairly. But I think it's a great reminder to all of us, you can't just bring your one style to work anymore and hope that everybody aligns to it. Uh, uh, 100% agreed. Let's pivot, thank you, to talk about um, moments of truth. I'm guessing there was a time in your career where you faced some significant adversity where you had to confront the brutal facts and it became almost a moment of truth about your, your confidence, your humility, maybe your own arrogance. Can you share perhaps a time when you needed to confront the brutal facts about the business, about a team member, about maybe even your own, your own leadership skills, your own competency, and um, how did that go down? Yeah, um, you, you'll hear some similar threads here. So my, you know, when I was actually a pharmacy manager, um, I, I was very comfortable in the store I was in. I got asked multiple times to take on larger stores, um, and I said no. And and then you know my supervisor or district manager came to me and said, "Here's here's the deal. We want you to move a couple hours away from here. This is our largest pharmacy business for the company, and here's why we want you to go. It's that we have somebody's leaving to open up their own independent pharmacy who's the current pharmacy manager you know we're scared we're going to lose half the business etc and by the way you've already turned down you know multiple opportunities to take on larger stores um and if you probably if you turn this one down there's probably a good chance we're not going to ask again so for me it was okay um we wanted to grow my career and you know saw this as an opportunity but i did have to reflect what that meant got there realized that um you know this much was much more complicated than and than met the eye and you know the reality is a, a month or two months into that i was just questioning you know whether i belong there i was questioning whether i can actually make a difference i was questioning why why did i do this i was very comfortable uh, where I was at, I, I was questioning, you know, some of the, the challenges we had with the customers. Um, you know, fast forward two years later, um, when I moved on to a different role and came back to that store, because that store was now part of my responsibility as a multi-unit leader, I actually had customers who came in the first time and just waited for me to come in, knew, knew I was coming in, and just wanted to say thank you for everything I helped them with. And, you know, that kind of made me reflect, this was less about me and more about the situation and how do you continue to um, make the best of a situation, understanding that everybody brings a different perspective and, and, and just understanding that, you know, what's the best outcome through that. So I would tell you that, you know, that, that experience, um, you know, really helped me, you know, with my resilience, really helped me understand that, 
you know, generally people go into something with the best intentions, but you also have to remember that, you know, outcomes are going to be looked different for different people. And how does this become a win-win across the board? So, you know, that's, that experience still resonates with me any day that I have a tough day. And, you know, I kind of think back to that and say, okay, you know, I got through that. How do I, you know, keep that energy going forth, moving forth onwards? Sounds like a perfect example of when someone extended trust to you and saw an opportunity for you. Uh, flip that conversation. Can you think of a time when you took a risk? You went out on a limb and you extended trust to somebody else. It was risky. Perhaps they deserved it. Perhaps they did it. Perhaps they didn't want the trust extended to them. Can you think of a time as a leader when you pre-extended trust to someone on a risk and how did it go? Good or bad? Um, good question. I mean, I think as you get to know people, you're going to de determine, um, note that level of trust. I, I would also say that, um, you learn throughout your career. Uh, you learn that, um, you know, from a trust perspective, one of the things I've always learned and believed in is that, um, you know, your team, you got, you develop trust with your team individually and collectively, but also equally important is, um, trust with the person you report to you. And, you know, one of the, you know, I call it uh, golden rules I live by, they always have to be the first to know. And so it's, you know, and that's something that I've learned through not doing that way earlier in my career and, and ensuring that, you know, they're the first to know. So that you can, so you build that relationship, they build that trust in you and it, and then they help you problem solve from that perspective also. Well said, let's talk a little bit about your life during the pandemic and the life of all of your tens and thousands of associates across the Rite Aid Corporation, can't imagine, can't relate, like to be empathetic, but I certainly don't know what it would have been like. Uh, what are some of the lessons you learned, literally on the front line? What are some of the lessons you've learned about society, government, leadership, research, pharmacology, patients, leadership skills, culture, fatigue? Take it wherever you'd like. What would you like kind of the world to know from your pandemic lessons and maybe even how it's changed you as a leader? Yeah, I mean, first, let me start with, you know, how proud I am of our teams and what they have done through the pandemic. And as, as you know, we're still vaccinating the country right now um, with the boosters and the bivalence. Um, but, you know, I, I'm so incredibly proud of what our associates did um starting in february 2020 and that's continued as far as um you know some lessons learned or some leadership changes i think first and foremost um you know being visible that that's incredibly important uh, i'm always being a person that loves to be out in our stores and you know march 2020 i i made a decision i need to be out there and it was you know and notwithstanding everything else that was happening, it was important to me to see what was happening live, you know, firsthand and thanking our teams across uh, across our footprint for what they were doing. So I had the opportunity to do that. Uh, the second is, you know, the pandemic also allowed not only Rite Aid, I assume, but other companies to really take decisions quickly without having 100% of the, the information that you may want to have to take a decision, because quite frankly, you just didn't have the luxury of doing that. And uh, you had to make decisions based upon the best information you had that day, not that week, and, and maybe the next day the decision changed. 
you know, the third the third part is, you know, we're so proud of the work that we did on top of others partnering with the federal government on all the testing and the vaccination. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the resilience of our teams to really manage each jurisdiction, state, cities, nuances on their pandemic um, bylaws. Uh, so that became very challenging also. And it was, you know, it was a very resilient team that took that into to account and how we got through that. So I think, you know, three things for me, one, you know, being very vis visible, um, two, empathy as far as just really making sure that you remember uh, our frontline associates and just be thankful for what they have accomplished and, and be there for them. And three, um, be nimble on, on the decision-making process and don't allow a team or organization to kind of go backwards in that process. Andre, I want to take that a little bit further and have you share some of the lessons learned from the pandemic and how leaders and organizations can apply them, whether they're selling tulips or lingerie or software or, you know, pharmacology products. I think it's fair to say that at least here in the U.S. during the pandemic, it was a um, unrelatably emotional time, right? You had the federal government and state governments and county governments kind of keystone copying up against each other. You had all the news stations telling you what they wanted to tell you. You had the CDC and the NIH. And rarely was there a day where the president and your governor and your congressperson and your mayor and your local county health official and the CDC always saying the same thing. They were often in conflict with each other. And I think, uh, to a large extent, a lot of them got a little bit of a bad rap because we look to these officials, at least the NIH and the CDC, for facts and their science. And a lot of them were, you know, I don't want to say making it up, but a lot of them <clears> were <throat> dealing with changing facts on the ground every day, right? A first-time experience for all of them. What do you think we have to learn from the fact that the CDC might have said one thing one day and there was vitriol about how it was said or that's so confusing. I mean, even I saw things come out to say, you know, you probably could have said that more clearly. Did you not like field test that? Because I'm a smart guy and even I'm confused and I'm, I got four vaccinations and still got COVID. What, what are the lessons learned from all of that two years of well-intended people also protecting their brands and their careers and their companies and their revenue and reputations Talk to all the leaders that are not in the health business. What should we do about our own communication, transparency, and leadership style to not repeat that cluster bomb that was communication around COVID? And I think one key theme comes out of that, right? One is how do you be as transparent as possible um, without being alarming? Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, early in the pandemic and through the pandemic, that was a lot of our internal deliberation. You know, how do we communicate? What do we communicate? Um, you know, we took a stance that we would follow CDC guidelines, full stop. Uh, but what did that mean in, uh, for, you know, for our teams and our associates and our customers? And, um, you know, we, I, you know, we, I'll just give you an example, you know, we made a decision that if there was any time early in the pandemic that an associate tested positive, we would shut down the entire store, bring a third party service in to um, do a, a, a deep clean, both, you know, in the air and on, on all surfaces. Um, you know, was it cheap? No. Uh, was it the right thing to do at that point in time? Absolutely. You know, fast forward. 
um, you know, if you reflect upon on that now with the science changing um, or, you know, cause and effect, you know, that was probably over the top and not necessary, but based upon information we had at that point in time, that was the right decision to make just to, you know, put our customers at ease and our, uh, their associates at ease, right? So I think there's that, that's the balance, Scott, I would, I would share is, you know, be transparent, but not be over alarming. Is there a time in your career whether it be at a different organization or at Rite Aid, where you wish you could have a do-over. You wish you could literally rewind it and say, oh, I didn't mean to say that, or I should have done this. And be as transparent as you're willing, because I think all of us learn from the mistakes of others. I don't have your degrees. I don't have your <coughs> intellect. I don't have your personality. You don't have my head of hair. <laughs> I'm searching for anything that I have. <laughs> My point is, I think in life, it's hard to replicate somebody else's passion and genius and intellect and trust fund and socioeconomic uh, uh, economic upbringing. What we can do is we can learn from others' mistakes. We can say, oh my gosh, that pothole, I'm going to walk around that one and not do what they did. What would you share would be an instructive do-over that anybody listening today might say, okay, thank you, Andre, I will not say or do that? Um. Gee, how much time do you have? Thank um, you for that. <laughs> I've had some no, guests say, you know, I can't think of anything. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's small things that are day in, day out that one, you know, reflects upon whether it's how you say something, how you show up in a meeting, uh, what you wanted to say, but was interpreted quite differently. And uh, so you kind of have that type of stuff. So I think there is, you know, the lesson is, you know, how do you prepare and always be prepared for your comments and, you know, and your non nonverbal signs, et cetera. Um, you know, more broadly, I think one of the things I would share is, um, you know, in particularly in today's world where, um, you know, the job market is pretty hot, right? And, um, you know, people get calls all the time for things. And, you know, what I would share with, you know, people who are you know, at the vice president, director level that are looking to make those changes, do your research, right? Don't just jump, do your research, really do a, a good, you know, pro cons analysis. Um, because generally what you find out, you know, a lot of times is that, um, you know, the decision becomes that much more difficult. And I only can share from, you know, um, you know, some from some peers of mine across the industries over the last couple of years that have made some decisions and, They've all said, you know, I wish I would have, I wish I would have stayed or, you know, I, I didn't know this going in. And, you know, there's always a bit of uncertainty, but my advice to others is just to, you know, do your homework before you make those big decisions. Okay, Andre, last question, a little bit of uh, maybe medical advice. I know you're not a physician or an MD, but you've come in contact with, of course, hundreds of thousands of, of customers who are patients and are dependent upon both their physician and their pharmacologist, right? Their pharmacist to help them out. Give me some health advice. What's the best health advice you have? And don't tell me diet and exercise. That's off the table. I remember once Dr. Oz, now, you know, running for Senate in Pennsylvania, once said the best medical advice he had was floss your teeth. And he mentioned all the things that come from not flossing your teeth. So other than not, other than flossing your teeth and other than diet and exercise, without breaking any HIPAA rules, as you've seen hundreds of thousands of customers and patients that rely on Rite Aid to help you know, create um, medical uh, balance in their life, what's some advice you would give us to say, so many, so many of our clients have this and it maybe could be prevented if they did that? 
inspire us? Well, let me inspire, let me try to answer this two ways. The more traditional way is that, you know, as a, as a nation, two out of three Americans, you know, have a chronic care condition. And, you know, that's going to be hypertension, diabetes, um, or um, high, high cholesterol. Um, and, you know, it's the, the motherhood answer is a lot of that's preventative through diet and exercise. So that's not the answer you want to hear, but that is, that's the truth. Okay. Um, separately, and I think this is, you know, something that um, has really, you know, exacerbated itself since the pandemic is, is mental, mental health. And so my, my advice for everyone is to, you know, really find that time daily, weekly, whatever works for you. Uh, so where you can, you know, really wrap yourself around your own mental health, whether that's, you know, a, a 15 minute meditation with an app or an hour walk to clear your head. But, you know, that, that to me, that's so critical uh, right now. And it's something that I, I try to live by on a day to day basis also. Andre, one more question. I'll let you go. I know your time is busy. Let's talk about vaccines. I'm going to guess it's safe to assume you're pro-vaccine. You are the chief retail officer of one of the largest medical retailers in the nation, of which my family is. Um, my boys love to get their vaccines because they get a lollipop. Like my youngest boy, we have three oh, sons yeah. that are 8, 10, and 12, and he wants to go get shots because <laughs> he knows he gets a lollipop during it. Um, talk about vaccinations for a moment. I don't mean to make it political. Everyone has their own opinion and legally they're entitled to put what they want to in their body, provided it isn't illegal. Um, take someone like me, right? I'm 54 years old, generally in very good health. I decided to, um, we decided, my wife and I, that our family would vaccinate. We, we, we've always been pro-vaccine our entire life. We're well-educated, we research. We don't just blindly follow any advice given to us by our governor, our president, or our doctor. We, we do our research and make our conclusions, not being doctors or even in the health field. Someone like me, I got two Moderna shots, the first one, second one, waited whatever X number of months, got my first booster, uh, caught COVID, very mild, wouldn't even know I caught it had I not tested myself. I had a cold, but fortunately the symptoms were low. I hope, I'm guessing because of the vaccine. I don't know, I'm guessing. And now I've had, um, got my, my fourth shot. I got a second booster, I'm over at the age of 50, got a booster about five months ago or so. And now there's a massive, communication campaign on getting reboosted and such. You know, I got my flu shot two weeks ago. I need a shingle shot. I'm 54. I had a mild case of shingles about six months ago on my back. Very manageable with an antibiotic or a, not antibiotic, whatever it was. Maybe it was that. And so I'm just kind of wrestling, like, where does it end? I also need a tetanus shot. Am I going to get a, am I going to get a, a COVID shot every six months for the rest of my life and a flu shot and whatever else is next? Maybe bring some wisdom as a not just a healthcare provider, but also a citizen who doesn't believe everything you're told. What's some advice for us? Yeah, I mean, I think let's you know specific to um, COVID. You know, here's here's how I see it. Um, you know, we're at the point right now where um, this probably is going to be an, an annual shot um, akin to the flu shot, and. Uh, you know, the, the shot's going to be, um, you know, based upon the most current or you know, most recent strains. You know, the flu shot uh, is based upon strains that are found early in the flu season in the Southern Hemisphere. And, the, you know, that that's what gets into the flu shot that we get here in the Western Hemisphere. Um, so I think from that perspective, you know, one has to make a decision based upon their own personal circumstances, their own 
health conditions, whether they, they want to be, you know, immunized or not. I mean, you know, similar to the flu shot, some, you know, some people say it's, it's, a, it's a must every year. Uh, some people say I'm okay, you know, passing on it, notwithstanding that I'll get a mild, a mild cold. But, you know, if you're older and you have underlying health conditions, uh, the benefit, the risk reward is so much better to to be vaccinated, right? And I think that's that's the advice I would share is that you just have to look at your own personal situation and and what's your risk reward um, based upon on on that relative to whether you get immunized or not on whether it's COVID or flu. I mean, selfishly, and I, I I've gotten both of mine, um, the, the booster bivalent and my flu shot already, and I, I you know I. That's something that's going to be on my to-do list every fall going forth. Andre, thanks for your time. Great conversation today. Andre Prasad, the Chief Retail Officer of Rite Aid Corporation. Appreciate you taking the time to invest in all of our viewers and listeners on your own leadership journey today and at least your perspective on what it means to get uh, vaccinated going forward. Thanks for your time today, sir. You're a class Hi. Nice meeting you, Scott. Take care. Bye-bye. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.